Tonight's uh, scripture reading is from Exodus 1:22 through 2:10. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, "Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live." Now a man from the house of Levi went and took a wife, took to wife a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds at the river's brink. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked beside the river. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to fetch it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and lo, the babe was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him, in Pharaoh's, brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, for she said, Because I drew him out of the water. The word of the Lord. Moses in the bulrush, Moses in the reeds, Moses in the reed sea, Moses in the bulrush, the princess and the baby slave child born and abandoned on a boat in the water as the least worst alternative, set adrift as a sign of hope, cast upon the water in an act of desperation, set adrift, set afloat in a woven bulrush reed boat, a sign of hope, pushed off, shoved out, given to the wiles of the wild, cast upon the surface of the universe as if to say, all this that you have given me, all this that you have brought about has come to be too much, more than I can do. I plead to you in this prayer, in this last desperate action, to answer suffering, injustice, and desperation with love. Cast on the surface of the water, bobbing, rocking slightly on the face of the water, the bottom of the woven bulrush reed boat just breaking the waterline, exposed to the great unknown below, the world of chaos and creatures, the unsurvivable deep. I plead to you in this prayer, in this last desperate action, to answer suffering, injustice, and desperation with love. This is one of the great children's Bible stories, right? I mean, clearly it's an important story in the greater narrative arc of the Bible. This is Moses' origin story. Moses is the greatest of all the Hebrew prophets. Moses is the savior of the people. He calls the nation into being. 
He's a primary figure on which the Jesus story is based. So how could any children's Bible or collection of children's Bible stories not include it? And also it's about a little baby and there's a mommy and her sister, his sister and his new adoptive mommy. It's sweet. Most of these Bible, children's Bible stories dealing with this text uh, start out with the wicked king or maybe the evil king or they say mean pharaoh. And the wicked, evil, mean pharaoh is afraid because the Hebrew birth rate is getting super out of hand. And he's afraid that they'll rebel because there's so many of them. And so he comes up with a little plan to uh, bring down the birth rate. Well, actually, I guess it's to increase the mortality rate. He orders the Hebrew midwives to kill all the baby boys as soon as they're born. This sets the whole story into action. Understandably, most children's Bible story versions don't spend a lot of time on that part. Oh, I wanted to tell you about this version, this ARC book version. I know we keep coming up here with these, but uh, formative, I think. I want to tell you the story, but I, first I want to tell you uh, well, about this story in particular, I have to say, which might surprise you all. I think it's really good. I think it's really good. And I know usually I come up here and I take one of these and I'll just like read it and make fun of it and make jokes. Um, But I think it's amazing. But just to get a little of that making fun of things out of the way, let me tell you about a few more other versions of the story. I mean, actually, I was surprised how many other versions of the story all came to the same moral lesson. So you know how the story goes, right? Of course, we just heard it. And Moses weaves this basket and sets him afloat in the reeds. And uh, the, daughter, the little daughter comes and watches over him. And then the Pharaoh's daughter comes and finds Moses. And then she notes it's a Hebrew baby. And just then this clever little girl comes over and says, I can find a Hebrew woman to nurse the child and care for him until he's older and return her to you. She says, the Pharaoh's daughter. And so the Pharaoh's daughter thinks that's great. It's a great idea. So she says, go get the woman and I will pay her to nurse and care for this little baby. Okay, so the conclusion at the end of a surprising number of versions of the story, the moral, if you will, or the spiritual, ethical takeaway is this. And I will quote from one of them. Isn't that a wonderful story? God protected the baby And when he was found, he was given back to his own mother to care for him. And she was paid to do what she was already going to do for free. (laughs) God is so good to those who are faithful to him. Your baby and a prophet. The arch version of the Bible story is called The Princess and the Baby. It was published in 1969. The illustrations, I think, are amazing. They're emotional. They're compelling. And I have to say, so is the text. I mean, so I already recounted the incidents, the inciting incidents, and we have the same setup here in The Princess and the Baby. But then it takes this kind of subtle turn. It moves on to explain that it wasn't just like Moses' mother trying to, you know, Uh, hide 
Moses, but all the Israelite women in Egypt were hiding their baby boys at night from the Pharaoh's guards. They were all inside their darkened houses, hiding their babies. And it says, praying and praying, pleading with God, because they had no other option. And I'll just, let me just quote, because I like it, what it says. They prayed and prayed and got that God above would help them with his strength and love. I mean, aside from the gender-specific language, I think that is a beautiful thing to do when you are desperate or afraid. Pray and pray to God above to come and help with God's strength and love. The author then adds this extra-biblical scene of Moses' mother showing this in this darkened room and she's holding the baby, and through a shuttered window, she's looking out, and she's desperately trying to keep the baby from making a sound while Pharaoh's soldiers pass by every day on horseback. I mean, I can feel the fear and the gravity of the situation in the scene with the text and the illustrations. So the mother finally decides that she needs another option because one day the baby's going to cry or make a sound when the guards are coming by, and then they will take him and they will throw him in the river and drown him. So she has to come up with an alternative. So she builds this tiny boat. She weaves this boat out of reeds. And all the while, her oldest, her daughter, Miriam, is there at her side watching her, looking at her. And then on the next page, when she's working, weaving the basket, Miriam is holding the little baby Moses and following her mother around. And she's, she's finally asking her mother, what, what is she doing? What is her plan? And her mother finishes the boat and takes up the baby boy and says to Miriam, come with me and you will see. They tend to rhyme. Um, you will see, and then they take this, they take this, it says, they walk for a long, long mile. And that was just like another little, like, detail that I thought really gave me a sense of the story that this is really, that this is desperate times, and they're afraid, and they're walking on the road. They have to walk for this long, long mile. I mean, it is an nice deal. Okay, possibly they could have just added it because they needed something to rhyme with Nile, but I think still, I like it anyway. So she puts the baby in the basket and hides it in the reeds, floating it in the River Nile. And the mother's so sad, and she turns to leave. And then Marion grabs her by the hand and says, Mother, I'll stay with him. I'll watch over him. I'll stand back here, and I will protect him. And if anybody comes, I'll just say I'm here playing. And the mother's overcome, and she cries, and she bends down, and she hugs her, and she says to her, she kisses her and embraces her, and says, oh, my little girl, today you have grown up inside. Like this little girl is in this situation, and she's moved by compassion, but also this sense of responsibility, and she acts. 
she acts to protect her little brother when her mom is just desperate. It's like crazy in this story that's purportedly about saving this baby boy so he can grow up into be a man. This arch book version has this little girl, Miriam, transformed into an empowered woman through the desperate situation that she finds herself in. The next page has Miriam sitting on a rock. And the baby is floating in the bulrushes in the foreground. And Miriam is looking not at the baby, but sort of up in a contemplative pose. And the text explains that she is pondering what it means for her to be without her mother doing this thing. She's considering her own agency in the world. Okay, it doesn't exactly say she's considering her own agency in the world. It implies it. Then Pharaoh's daughter comes, finds the baby, is cooing over him. She doesn't even notice Miriam. So Miriam comes out from behind the reeds and just strolls up to her casually, says hello, introduces herself, and just casually says, what have you got there? And she's like, oh, I can see it's a Hebrew baby. I think I can help you out. And she devises this plan whereby she can get her mother to come and nurse the baby and take care of the baby, returning her brother to her mother, taking her out of the hands of the Pharaoh's daughter. The story concludes with Miriam's mother agreeing to care for the baby. She's got a big smile on her face. And in the background in this illustration, the Pharaoh's daughter is walking off. And Miriam, one hand holding onto her mother's skirt, and the other one on her chin, as if in contemplation, is turned, looking past Pharaoh's daughter and up towards the sun, thinking. And the final text in the story says that she knew deep in her heart that there was a special reason why God had not let her brother die. I think it's kind of a beautiful story and not what I would expect an interpretation from the arch books, but but like all arch books, there is um, a little thing at the back called Dear Parents. And this takes the story you've just read and tells you how to use it as propaganda to uh, make your children do what you want. I don't, think they, I don't think they explain it that way. But usually when I read the Dear Parents part, that's when I really cringe. Because it's really some ethical lesson, you know, is along the lines of if you're faithful to God you can get paid for what you're already going to do for free. <laughs> but at the end of this story, the editors, they always sign the editors, uh, they end by saying, help your child to sense the wonder of God's love in his great plan and to live in the security that he cares for each and every one of his children today.
What a great thing to tell kids. What a great thing to tell anybody. I want to hear that all the time. The sea in ancient mythology is the region of chaos. Not uniformly malevolent, but eternally unknowable, and in that, terrifying. Not included in the most commonly known story of the deliverance of the slaves from captivity in Egypt was what they saw as they passed through the sea, through the chaos. At his God's command, Moses held out his hand over the abyss, and the Lord drove back the waters so that the fleeing slaves walked on dry land, on the bottom of the abyss, with walls of great water humming on both sides. What they saw as they passed through the chaos was every kind and possibility of darkness writhing and striving just on the other side of the surface of those walls. Even the purpose and promise that could be glimpsed was overwhelmed by the mammoth shadows of creatures further back from the surface. How far back or how large or even the shape or intentions of these beasts was unknowable. It was as if the creator was saying, freedom? Yes. But this is what you must pass through, and rarely will it be held back at bay. To live freely is to contend with these. So, the authors of this ARC book, The Princess and the Baby, astoundingly take this, what is supposed to be the origin story of the greatest prophet of the Hebrew Bible, the savior of the people, and make it about Miriam, who is the savior of the savior. She is the one that acts first. She saves the one who will save the people and become the great prophet. And they, she's always contemplating, and she say, they tell, say at the end that she knows this purpose. They're making this story that's the origin story of the greatest Hebrew prophet about Miriam the prophet. I think it's amazing. And remarkably, the ancient rabbis writing in the Midrash agree. And so when you have the ancient rabbis and the Publication Society of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod agreeing on an interpretation of the text, wow. And even just a plain reading of the scripture comes right out and says, calls Miriam a prophet. She is, after finally the seas have opened up and the Israelites, the slaves, have passed through the water 
and come out on the other side. And then Moses sings this song and they all sing. And after that, then Miriam steps forward and sings and dances and gives thanks. When they are freed finally and pass through that water, Miriam, the prophet, Miriam they call her, dances to celebrate. Miriam gets the last word. And many times in the text, they just they refer to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam as the leaders of this tribe. All three of them, each with different roles. The ancient rabbis, right, in the Midrash, they say that um, that Miriam was not only called a prophet there, but she had she just didn't become a prophet when she was a girl or at the birth of Moses, but clearly she must have been a prophet much earlier, before Moses was even born. And that, in fact, perhaps maybe she wasn't a little girl when Moses is born, but already was the prophet Miriam. And that she prophesied, in one story, she prophesies the birth of Moses and says that he would be saved from the waters and then he would save his people. There's all kinds of uh, stories in the Hebrew, in the, uh, from the rabbis connecting her with water. She's associated with water in all these, all these stories. And even in uh, the reports of her death, in a play and reading the text, Miriam, they come to this new place, the people, when they're out in the desert, and she dies. And they just, matter-of-factly said, they arrived and Miriam died. And then it said that the people complained because they had no water. They had nothing to drink. And they said, why didn't you just let us die? When all our brothers died, why did you bring us out here? We have nothing to drink. And so this is when Moses uh, and Aaron, they hit the rock and water comes out and they all drink. So the rabbis say that the reason they at that point complained about not having water where they hadn't before in the journeys was because Miriam had this well. And it was a well that provided water just from itself. And it, and it followed them in the same way that they followed the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke. This well of Miriam's followed the people as they moved. And she gave them water to drink, gave them the sustenance. And so it's when she died... That is when they were thirsty because she was no longer there to give them water. It also reports that Miriam, well, that Moses, he was going up on the mountain talking face to face with God, but it was actually Miriam who led the people from place to place. When they were moving on, it was Miriam, this woman now, if she was, she was, um, old, she was old when Moses was born, now she's this very old woman with this magic well leading the people from place to place wherever they go. It's kind of amazing to me. They even say in these stories that it is clear that it was Miriam who parted the Red Sea, not Moses, because there's a story in which as she steps forward, 
to the edge of the Nile when Moses was in the reeds that the waters began to move as she stepped. And just in the same way, when she was leading the people with her brothers Aaron and Moses to the edge of that Red Sea, she stepped forward and the seas parted. And that she danced because the prophecy that she'd given so long ago had come true. That she got the final word and she sang and danced because her brother was saved and he led his people to freedom. The ancient rabbis and the Missouri Synod. Jesus comes up from the water and as he rises, the water divides and falls to either side of him. That is baptism. And I can't help but seeing Miriam over his shoulder dancing and singing and giving thanks. Thanks.